So this is, I was going to say, like, um, yeah, you dragged me into this room. Yes. And I just got off the train having hit a bug. Oh, that. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I know what you're like with unfinished bugs. So that's all that's on my brain. Because it, <laughs> it's one of those bugs that either, either I have done something very stupid or I found a really exciting bug in the browser. <laughs> and it's probably the former. Yeah, but there's but, hope. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's one of these ones that every time I try and reduce the problem, it, it works fine. Uh, but there's, there's, and it's it's to do with streams, obviously very close to my heart. Yeah. Uh, but it, at one of the streams is just not working when when a certain combination is used. Probably my fault. Might not be my fault. It's very exciting. But it's going to be your fault. So as soon as we're done with this, so if we fault. talk very fast, then uh, it's okay. going to be your fault. Fix up. I, we should add a little extra snippet to the end of the we'll show. We'll put it in the start. description. It was Jake's. FYI, Jake's fault or a link to the browser bug. One of those two will happen, all right? <laughs> Cool. Well, it has been a while since we did an actual podcast. Yes. And I think partly it's been just because um, I have ridiculously high standards and I don't like shipping a podcast that's not, you know, fun from start to end. Mm-hmm. That might be my fault. Uh, but the other thing is, of course, we've been out and about because we've been to Google I.O. We've been to the Progressive uh, Web App Dev Summit in Amsterdam. Yes. Uh, and uh, it turns out that you had a bit of a disaster on the flight to IO, did you not, sir? So, okay, I was sleeping on the flight because, you know, it's a long flight to San Francisco. I don't know how you do that. I can't sleep sitting up. I mean, some people can. Good on them. And you clearly are one of those weird, I mean, people. Well, uh, I actually found a a cool trick there because I was lying flat. Um, And I was rudely awoken by someone fidgeting with my head. Oh, um, that sounds a bit odd for a flight. Yeah, I, I kind of woke up being quite annoyed and sort of looked up and there were two flight attendants looking down at me. And uh, I kind of had a look around and I was on the floor. Awkward. And uh, they, were, they explained to me, sir, um, you've passed out. Right. And uh, and I kind of, at that point, I thought, right, okay, rewind. And I, and I, I remember waking up on my chair. Yes. Feeling, ooh, I don't I don't feel brilliant. This is not great. Uh, maybe I can wait it out. Oh no! No, I think I might. I think I'm gonna be sick. Okay, gonna get to the bathroom. Get to the bathroom, and then everything's gonna be fine. We can figure it out. And, and I also need to drink a water really badly. Uh, so I got up and started walking. And I thought, oh no, this is bad. This is bad. Uh, I really, really hope there's no one else in the bathroom because it's gonna be tricky times then. And I got to the bathroom door, and on the front it said vacant. And I was like, oh, thank God for that. Uh, and that's my last memory. Excellent. <laughs> I'm told that I, I reached out to push the door, but instead just pushed myself. <laughs> Interesting. Backwards onto so the floor. It's like your brain, rather than throwing an error, as it were, mm. just rebooted your whole system. And do you know what? It felt amazing. Like, my, my first thoughts when I was on, on the ground, obviously not quite realising what's going on, was like, ah, oh, do you know what? I feel the best I've ever felt. <laughs> and, I, and I spoke to uh, Harry Roberts about this. Yes. Who has had a fainting had a similar episode, hasn't he? Yeah. On stage. Yes. Uh, in front yes. of yes. Uh, people and stuff. And that's what he, he said, the same thing. It's like, your first feeling is like, bliss. <laughs> it's like, oh, I feel amazing. I'm on a stage and there's people looking at me and they look concerned. But I, I, I yeah, it, that, that I went from feeling like I was going to be sick, that the world is broken, to feeling actually quite okay. Good. But they wouldn't let they wouldn't let me back up. Like I was kind of like, you know what? I think I'm fine now. I'm going to get. With it. And they're like, no, sir, 
you are staying down. Well, because there's there can be some bravado when you, you know, when, when somebody's actually unwell or injured or whatever. There's a natural risk to, especially I think perhaps a British thing. I don't know if it's it's universal, but that kind of no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. I'll walk it off. Well, and I think also there was part of the there was still flight, you know, as in fight or flight. I I, I was, you know, mortally embarrassed. Yeah, about being. Right. I was aware people were kind of looking at me, going, "Why is that guy sleeping on the floor? And why yeah. are they covering covering him in flannels?" Which is what, what they were busy. Doing. Wow. Well, well, what? So one guy had my legs in the air. Um, I don't know if that's a thing or he was just doing it for a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, <laughs> he was great actually because he he was telling me stories. He was like, "Well, do you know what, sir? It's a good job that you got up and you fainted on the floor because if you faint when you're sitting up." You throw up everywhere. I saw a woman do it. It was like The Exorcist. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this imagery is not... <laughs> no, not all of a sudden that I feel amazing is sort of shifting slowly back towards I don't feel so great again. Wow. But the, but the, the, um, when I say like, I think I am uh, you know, actually fine to get up now, uh, the the woman who was sort of tending to my head, it seemed they, they, they'd sort of... One person was tending to my legs. Yeah. You're the legs person, you're the head person. Yeah, so, so the head person pick, said... Pick an um, extremity. The, the head person said, well, we're, you know, you're still looking really pale, so we think we should just keep you down for a bit. <laughs> it's like, look, <laughs> no amount of time is going to solve this problem. <laughs> like, let me show you some photos of me healthy. <laughs> we can get the, you know, the the panatone. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but when we got to IO, moving on, we got mm. to IO. Um, I, I mean, I did a, a talk in one of the kind of the dome things, mm. um, which was which was cool, and uh, we had this kind of dedicated mobile web tent, and we had lots of people coming in and out, and I kind of stood there for a laptop with a couple of days. Kind of doing performance uh, audits with people and stuff. It was and it was really it was fascinating. Um, uh, partly just because uh, you know I had people asking me what request animation frame was. They'd never heard of it before, mm. and I was like, it, for me, that was such an eye opener because I think I I live uh, so often at the bleeding edge, and even even when I sort of take a step back and go, okay, fair enough. Even request animation frame. I remember Paul Irish did his little shim thing. I think it was about 2011. Mm. So this is an API that's sort of four or five years old, and still people don't feel, perhaps in some quarters, they don't feel like they understand what it was. So that was a bit of an eye-opener. And I had people who um, they were saying, well, you know, why is, why is it taking so long for this thing to show up on screen? And, of course, you'd open up DevTools, you'd open up WebPage Test or whatever, run it, and they had these massively long network chains mm. um, of you know, this, request this, request this. And I would sort of say, look, you know, and explain to them the idea of, you know, in critical rendering path and getting things up on screen. And and so often the, the sort of the response I'd get was, well, but the framework's doing this for me. Oh. And I was like, but I, and I understand that. And I, 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 get, I get that, but, but I can't magic that away. That's still your responsibility. You've got to find a way of making those two things coincide. And I think one of the interesting shifts um, certainly, Addy was trying to show this in his talk. Is this idea that you've got to try and make these two worlds uh, work well together? And I think the the framework authors are trying to move towards this, where they can do not just a server side render, um, but I mean, certainly the, the Polymer shop they kind of do this thing called purple, which is like push and then render. You basically push everything for an initial render, and then you lazy load everything else, which is just progressive so that's rendering. That's what purple. I've 
I've heard that word yeah, being said. Yeah, the P is the push. R is like the render your initial view, I think. We do love our acronyms, don't we? Oh, yes. So does the R in purple stand for rail? No. <laughs> we're, just, we're just putting all our acronyms into, into one bigger acronym, um, which itself will become self-aware. So purple is just like progressively applying behavioral behaviors and rendering right yeah it's basically progressive rendering and, and progressive bootstrapping as well it's it's kind of trying to encapsulate a lot of that stuff into one model uh and and it, it does work actually i think it it does use the best of like http2 um to kind of try and get all it pushes down not just the initial page but all the html imports with it and stuff like that so mm. that they're available uh which works for resources but it turns out the other day uh Surma and i were trying h2 push but from navigations, like if I know you're going to go to the about section straight after hitting the home, right? But and we sort of push push about.html. So um, you're, you're pushing the the, page, the next page you you think the yeah, user is going to go to. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and it's, for, but it's just a resource; it's not a pre-render. Right. It's, yeah. Okay. But that seems to be somewhat uncharted territory. It's not a resource. Like there's, as I understand it from HTTP two, there's sort of. Um, a mechanism by which, even though the server can push stuff down, the client still has to acknowledge it that it's a thing that they wanted to do. Um, as in, oh yes, I was going to ask for that CSS. Oh yes, I was going to ask for that JavaScript, whatever. Mm. So there is a kind of correlation, uh, like a checks and balances. Whereas it's not going to go, well, I was going to go to about.html or whatever. So there is a, a discrepancy there that you can't just push whatever you think the client wants or might want at some indeterminate point in the future. There has to be some, it seems, checks and balances. But it also, it seems like it's not completely clear exactly what the implementation should be in that situation. Well, this is my big bugbear with um, HTTP2 right now is that the, the spec for HTTP2 covers the implementation, right? So any client can do H2 like, and you can send a, a push, a pushed resource. But there is no spec for what the browser should do with this, hmm. and 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 this is the problem we've got. It's like so so the so what what was it the, the behavior in Chrome right now is that you uh, the, the push resource kind of sits in a sort of limbo until yeah. another API like such as an image element or something actually uses it. Yeah, because I was I was wondering does it get pushed directly into the HTTP cache? But the answer seems to be no. Hmm. It's definitely not into the HTTP cache. Um, until it's consumed or something. I, uh, th this is, I, uh, like, I don't understand yet I suppose what a, this mechanism is. A benefit of the system that Chrome has could be that um, you can push a resource that is no cache or max age zero, and it could still be used because it's sitting around in memory. Right. Whereas the, the HTTP cache would be like, well, this is invalidated. I must go and get it. Which yeah, it's sort not of, for me. Which basically undermines the, need, the the use of push because you push something that's going to be immediately invalidated. I, I see that. But, but, but how, long the, how long does this little limbo cache last for? Yeah. The, is it the lifetime of the H2 connection, for example? Mm. Is it some other kind of session that is implementation specific? So I, I, I really... I think it's something that we need to kind of, as developers, we need to understand this a little bit more uh, mm. before we can sort of flesh out what our patterns look like. Because you need to understand, if I'm going to push, under what context am I allowed to push, as in the client's going to accept the push? And then secondly, what's it actually going to do with those resources when I do a push, even if it's you know if it's a valid one? Like, if I do push some CSS, what is it going to do with that? When is it going to end up in the HTTP cache? 
Blah blah blah. Well, and there's going to be a limbo cache also for Linkrel preload. Limbo, limbo cache. Can we limbo call cache. it a limbo cache? Well, so here's the thing: is like I don't know if these are the same limbo caches or different ones because we do have a limbo cache already. We do for images. So if you have an image on a page, even if that is Linkrel, no, not Linkrel, uh, like no cache, uh, cache control. No, no cache mm -hmm. or max age zero. If you create another image element of the same URL, it will just use the same resource that's already on the page. So at page level, we already have a limbo cache. So, well, it's not a limbo cache because it's it's already being used, but it won't hit the network again. Feels like an LRU style kind of ish. Well, it's I don't know if it ever goes back to the network. I think the the spec says it should always just like use the resource that the page has already received if the URL is the same. And it might be that then. It might be that it gets pushed into that kind of resource, kind of the page level kind of. And that might explain cache. why it didn't work for navigations. Because like it if, doesn't belong to that page. If it's a, a page level thing. But I, but I thought for, for H2, it might be per H2 connection, which is which can go beyond a page. Query on that, though. Mm. You could XHR or fetch in from a page to get another page by rights. If I request about .html with an XHR, mm -hmm. that resource essentially has been done as part of that page, not as a separate navigation, surely. Sure, but it won't be used again because the next navigation will go to the HTTP cache. Okay. So if you've, if you've got, if it's cacheable in terms of HTTP caching, then yeah, it'll come from the cache. But if your page is no cache, which most pages are, right, mm -hmm. um, then, then no. I think all we're, all we're establishing is that this is a fuzzy strange, yeah. quirky area that I think we could all do with understanding a little bit more. Let's well, well, for pages, there's Linkrel pre-render. Yes. So I think that's probably the proper mechanism for a navigation. Because that will, that will do a navigation request, and I think it will do sub-resources as well. Hmm. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Paul is unconvinced. I am unconvinced. <laughs> we'll come back to that, I'm okay. sure, in the future. Let's talk about uh, the fact that you, on the other hand, despite me going on to the, into the smaller dome, you actually had prime time. You went onto the mega stage, I, I, yeah. which was huge, wasn't it? It was this absolutely enormous amphitheater. And there's you. They're like, I've got my own slides. It was it was a stage that the Spice Girls had presented on. <laughs> presented on? I mean, well, they were presenting a series of songs. I think that's what they. I think it's still presenting. The, you're so so with it and and. <laughs> So actually, with the kids with a Spice Girls reference, I think they're still, I th they're still, a, still a thing. It's still a thing. Uh, it turns out, um, as it happens, that maybe I slump in the afternoon, and it turns out you might be slumping in the morning. In the morning. Anyway, yes, yeah, so the, the Spice Girls with their, with their, their PowerPoint the presentation. Yes. Oh yes, yes. So yeah, I got to present on the big, and it was great because there was, like, for me, there was six screens in front of me. Six. It, well, because the so the how the, many eyes have you got? Well, this is, I so I had my slides and my notes. That's two. Two. But then that was repeated another two times, depending on which uh, quadrant of the audience I was. I mean, not quadrant. Uh, what's what's the word quadrant for three? <laughs> trodrant. <laughs> Let's say trodrant. Uh, which trodrant of the audience I was speaking to, which was great, because I could sort of... I mean, the, the audience was only really in one of the trodrants, <laughs> because, because the other two had sunshine on them. Oh, yeah. and, it, you know, it was hot. It was really hot. Wasn't it was it? hot, but it was also quite windy on the on your particular day as well. So it was the kind of hot. But if you were on stage where you were protected, there was because they did. I thought they said to you, "Be careful. We might need to come on with like a handheld mic." Yes. To kind of 
windshield a little bit. Yes, they prepared me for certain technical issues I might face, but not the, techni- the technical issue I did face. Oh, no. I Halfway through my talk, I'm terrified because it's like it was over a thousand people. I know. It's, it's huge. No, it was genuinely huge. And then as I switched to a slide, um, well, from my view, my two screens that I had, the one displaying my slides just went off and the one displaying my notes went green, and then it just started doing patterns. Oh no. And I, when I was looking at it going, hmm, well that's, that's a fundamental problem. <laughs> like, like it's, not, it's not like my laptop's gone to sleep, it's not like yeah. uh, something minimized or uh, something. This, is, this like, is full on AV catastrophe. Yeah. yeah, and I thought, well, do you know what? Maybe I don't need my notes. And if I turn around and my slides are still on the big screen, everything maybe could be okay. So you can actually see this on the video. I sort of do a slow turn round. <laughs> like a horror movie where the, the, the person realizes there's the kind of grotesque <laughs> threat behind them. Dun, and, dun, dun. and the grotesque threat behind me was a big blank screen. Uh. And it's, it's just like, kind of, uh, one minute. I sort of go to the laptop. Just hit thing. I just like, I just panic, unplugged and replugged it in about five times. Yeah. Uh, someone from the AV sort of came out and you know tried to help, uh, and and then it just it just magically came back, and and everything was fine. Um, but, did it did it remain fine for the rest of the? Yes, it did. Okay. Now um, my heart rate was treble. Yes, but oh. then let's let's fast forward again hmm. because of all the people who could have had an issue at the Progressive Web App Summit in in Amsterdam. You, sir, it turns out, had issues with your slides. And it it was fairly this. It was almost the same. I was giving giving a talk, a different talk, uh, and I I watched uh, the monitor with my slides on just go off. But this time I turned around and there was a crazy light show happening. Yeah. Like the, the crazy patterns like I saw with my notes at I.O. were now behind me on the screen. It was sort of like purple and pink and uh, cyan and like magenta all just going crazy on the screen. And like, I think most people thought this was going to part of the act. Like we were going to Yeah, because you were talking about how like you can't, can't have a stream halfway through, you can't read it, and it looked like it was a kind of clever, oh, this is what happens to a video stream halfway through. But mm-hmm. it wasn't, no. It was just, it was just a disaster for yes. you. Yes. And it's the one thing I think well, one of a set of a fairly small set of things I think that you don't want to happen to you as a speaker. I was because it, you know, it did come back. But once again, someone from AV just dealt with it while I tried to ad lib. Yeah, but I could just feel I could feel the heart rate just just ramping up, ding, 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 and ding, also ding. just that, that thought of like, well, it was being live streamed as well. It's like, what if the slides don't come back? I really rely on not only my slides but my notes. Like, and if we look at this diagram, which I can't show you, like, you know, it's uh, let's have a look at the video of these two things competing with each other. I don't know what I've done. What would I have done? What would I have done for half an hour? Uh, ad lib. Just like service worker Q and A. Has anyone tried service work? I mean, I, well, that was really encouraging actually, because when you asked right at the start, because you did a choose your own adventure style mm. tour, didn't you? At the start, you went, okay, who needs me to pitch service workers at them again? And <laughs> all and like, or is actually who knows about service workers and is happy with them? And like, virtually every hand in the room went up, mm. and I was like, okay, so this audience is at least. Uh, had exposure to that, which meant that you could then jump straight into talking about streams and and kind of more advanced, more uh, recent developments kind of in that world, which is good. And And there's plenty of content out there for people who haven't. And also at the same conference, we had uh, Mozilla, Samsung, and Microsoft talking about service worker and progressive web apps as well, which which was brilliant. Um, 
And Apple also said they would at least attend yeah. the next similar event, which I, I think is really encouraging. They said the only reason they didn't attend that one is because it was short notice, which it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was it, and it was, yeah. I mean, it was, it was short notice for us as well because we kind of yeah. came off the back of IO and went, went charging straight into it. And I think uh, it's even so, it was actually a really, really, uh, really good event, like really nice developers, Amsterdam. Obviously, it's a lovely, lovely city. Got to do a, a boat tour around there and, and kind of see some of that as well. So. There was an odd moment, though, where it was after the event. Uh, a few of us went to a... We were recommended a pub, uh, and we went there. And there was also, like, a brewery, so they did their own beer, which was pretty cool. And we hung out there, and uh, I, a couple of beers in, I, I went to the bar and uh, I said, Hi, can I have one of your lager beers, please? And they said, Oh, we're closed. Right. And I had a sort of time zone panic because I, you know, I feel fairly awake. I looked at time and it was like five minutes past eight in the, in Interesting. the evening. And I said something like, what is, what, is closed now? And I went, oh yeah, cl- closed at eight. And I said, what? what? But, but, but why? And they said, oh, this place is also a windmill. Uh, I, I feel like my... my understanding of the universe was just torn up in front of me. Yeah. And just like... <laughs> thrown in the air and blown in my face and say, I need to go and like have a long shower where I <laughs> reconstruct myself in my... <laughs> Apparently, it's, it's also a windmill. Wow. I mean... There you go. Really cool. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, of all the things for it to be as well... I mean, I went outside and checked. And they, they were right. It was also a windmill. But then it makes you wonder. You've got to rewind that, that those two paths and go, at what point did somebody say, this windmill... Also, a pub. That's a strange. T- that's a very strange business decision. Yeah. But I also, that that therefore, of course. Yeah. Well, the pub must close. I mean, ex- well, I mean, you wouldn't want it open while the windmill was windmilling. I mean, well, the windmill was still outside the building. It wasn't. It wasn't. Wait. So, so the, the windmill wasn't so large that the the kind of blade of the windmill came past the door like a crazy golf course. <laughs> <laughs> you would just end up killing patrons. <laughs> it is one way to determine, are you sober enough? Perhaps not the best for the longevity of your custom. And as the evening goes on, the blades just get faster. You've got to kind of bet at what point can you get out the door. I was always... Re- See, I'm not good at those games. If I learnt one thing from playing those kind of games, it's it's go when the kind of the threat is active. Because by the time you get to it, the threat is not active anymore. Oh, you see the, what I mean? Yeah, like the, it's, the sort of reverse space invaders theory, right? It's like, Shoot where the thing isn't. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. if because like, no, I remember the very first one was Prince of Persia with like the, the kind of open closing kind of metal yes. shutters things, and you always moved the guy, the prince, when um, when the shutters were down, because yes. then they would open and he would step through. And if you went when they were open, which felt like the right thing to do. Sp- Yes, bye bye. Abs- absolutely. There's so much from life you can learn from Prince of Persia. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Just if there's if there's a bottle of something lying around, <laughs> drink it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Careful of spikes. I mean, that is a good. Lesson, it is. So. I mean, it's so applicable. It really, <laughs> genuinely is. Um, good. Right. We should talk about a few of the things that I think um, are new on the web and that. Ooh, exciting so, new things. Yeah, actually, Chrome 52's um, got a few bits and pieces in, uh, one of which is uh, CSS containment, which I am I'm so excited about. I wrote a post about, uh, I think it was about two, two and a half years ago, where I was whinging, which is unusual for me. <laughs> but I was whinging about um, the fact that the web... I, the unusual thing is you're whinging not about frameworks. Yeah. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an equal opportunities whinger. 
not whinge about anything. Um, but I was whinging mostly that the, the web um, didn't have any concept of views. I was like, look, we're talking about building web apps. Great. But look at uh, look at native, right? look at iOS, look at Android, look at even Flash. I went back and said, look, look at Flash. It had movie clips. And these movie clips were these kind of self-contained views that didn't kind of interfere with one another. And so now compare this to the web, right? Web, basically, everything is scoped to this whole document, like layout and styles. And hmm. Okay, Paint is fairly, is getting better. Like Paint is, uh, over the last few years, has been very good about being targeted to specific areas of the page that actually need it. But I was saying, look, the, the, we don't have an idea of a view on the web. We can't lock off part of the page and say, you're your own self-contained infinite scroll list you're your own self-contained details view we've seen this haven't we with um things like uh i think we saw a performance problem on tweet deck where like adding a tweet to a list was ending up like the whole thing goes i need everything can be affected by this everything gets laid out which is actually it is a great strength of the web in in general terms because often you want that behavior or we've kind of grown up with that behavior and it's sort of what we've come to know and expect from the web i had this thing over here everything else should magically kind of flow around it and all the rest of it containment for me is that is that extra now setting because you can be like contain layout contain paint contain style which is style is a bit of a funny one because it actually only contains mutations it doesn't contain declarations hang on so. hang on hang on right let, let, let's let's go through those one by one yeah okay i need to work out what what these actually mean okay what was the first one contain layout right so that's that's if i add something to it the, the layout it, yeah. it can only affect the so, element with contain yeah. layout so right. for example we've had s uh, we've had uh SVG routes have acted as a as a layout boundary for a while. So the, yes. I, if I do layout inside of an SVG element, it, when it gets to the edge of the SVG, it goes, ah, that's fine. There's nobody outside this can be, that can be affected by the SVG. Therefore, I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to take the layout calculations outside of this. iframes as well, right? No. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Broadly, so, um, maybe. Yeah. So what's the, what's the visual impact of that? So it, I guess the element has to have a fixed width and height? No, not anymore. Uh, the initial version had contain layout, contain paint. Paint is just think of it as like clipping, but with yeah. but with extra bits and pieces. Like it does, it does make an initial containing block. So overflow hidden. Yeah, um, but with extra, there are side effects to it. Like position okay. fixed children are now relative to the the contain paint element. Which yeah, okay, it seems like what it should have been all along. Right, and okay. then and then contain style just for completeness. Um, things like counters, so mutations of styles within that. Right, but I it's see, not I declarations. See. So, for example, it's not going to act like a shadow DOM in terms of saying like scope styles. So, you, it of all of them, it's probably the least effective, I would say. Yeah. But then there's contain content and contain strict. Right. Um, because there is oh, there's contain size. Let me let me give you the kind of yeah. Let me give you the, the short. Do you do you do you, do you want to go and do some research? No 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 no. It's not <laughs> that. It's just that it, it, because of the fact that it kind of has such far-reaching effects. What you end up kind of coming down to, although there's two variants of it that you really probably want to care about on a day-to-day. There's contain strict mm-hmm. and contain content. Okay. Okay. Strict implies layout, paint, style, and size. So I guess that becomes like an iframe, right? Not nothing that can visually escape it. Yep. Nothing can layout escape yep. it. And when it's strict, because of uh, containing size, it means that it must have size declared. Its children cannot affect its size. Okay. So if you set it to be two hundred by two hundred, that's the size it will be, and nobody can change that. You can't make it smaller, bigger, or anything. It's just the size that it is, 
So it's children. If it's children are bigger, tough. So what? It won't. What if you don't specify width and height? Does it? It can render it zero by zero. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> because it goes well. You asked me to contain the size, and the size that I'm calculating for this, because I'm not, I'm ignoring any child elements, is zero by zero. That makes sense. Okay. So it basically means whatever you set it to be is whatever it'll be. However, contain content is it's contain layout, contain paint, contain style, but doesn't contain size. So now the child elements can affect the parent. Okay. But you'll still contain its layout, its paint, and its styles. Is it, Paul? I'm confused. How can it? How can it be containing its layout if it's affecting the size of the parent? Because then surely that's going to just bubble up to the whole document. Right? Yeah. So that can actually still happen. Oh. Oh. Okay. So it kind of optimizes when that doesn't happen. Yes. Huh. Okay. Oh, I understand. So that. for for the most part, <laughs> I feel like I went from one extreme to the other yeah. really quickly. <laughs> no, if you actually, everything's broken. Oh no, it's actually fine. If it's you, great. Actually. If you read the spec, it does say there can be situations where you set contain content and then it can still have to bubble that change back up, and you'll see it go to the document level. If that happens to you, you might need to set an explicit size on it and call it contain strict. Okay, that so makes sense. You kind of want to start with contain content and be like, is this good enough? Do, do my layout sort of calculations stay within the thing? If not, okay, I have to kind of add in the extra belt and braces and go contain strict. So when when I, you know, discovered uh, compositing, the first thing, one of the first things I thought is like, wow, I could, this is clearly better to have a kind of uh, isolated bit of painting happening, which can sort of be done without affecting the rest of the page. I could do that on pretty much everything and <laughs> things will get faster. And of course we saw that that's, that was not a good idea. Yeah. Is the same true with layout containment, or, or is it something that I can put on on everything that is a fixed size? Yeah, could I put contain layout on it and get a performance it's benefit? A, it's an interesting one um, because it seems like it doesn't actually have the kind of corresponding negative side effects. Mm. Um, because we were going to run styles and layout anyway. If you m make a mutation, all this is is providing shortcuts so that we don't have to do as much of it. So okay. And because if you imagine that essentially what we've had to this point was the worst case of everything's invalid, yay, let's recalculate the whole world. And now mm. we're actually going, actually, no, no, you don't have to recalculate the whole world. I'm going to give you a bit more information that will let you be specific and target this. So that, for me, now opens the door to uh, views. And it also potentially opens up uh, element queries, I think, I think, because... Oh, if it, you've got a fixed size, then. Exactly. I then, think you only need a fixed width, I think. But it, mm. it might open the door to that because it stops that that loopiness. Yes. If you see what I mean. Well, a, yeah, the same as an iframe. It's you're, a, it's a tiebreaker, in. right? So it goes, yeah, you can be as wide as you want, but if you've set contain strict, for example, eh, you can be as wide as you want. I'm not going to do anything about it. I don't know. That's For me, that's um, it's a you know TBC. Yeah. I'm not sure. But have you seen the resize observer stuff? It's an interesting one. Um, uh, yeah, there's a resize observer uh, explainer and sort of spec pitch that's kind of around element queries. And so when an element changes size, you can observe its things sort of async. Though it's a bit like a performance observer or a mutation observer, where you get kind of you get notified of the client width and client height changes on a particular element. That's cool because uh, yeah, that that would make it easier to polyfill something like element queries as long as you were defending against the the, the infinite loop. Yes. Which is difficult. Other things I noticed. Mm. The spring timing in the Safari tech preview it was actually Paul Irish who was like, oh, look at this. This is this is springiness when he was over here last. And I was like, interesting. Let's have a play with this. Um, 
So that's fun. I mean, basically, you get to set, you know, where you do like uh, it's the transition timing function mm -hmm. where you'd have been like ease out or keep it busy or whatever. Yes. You get a new one, which is like spring, and okay. then it has, it's just four numbers one, two, three, four, and those numbers are for mass, the stiffness of the spring, mm -hmm. any damping you want, mm -hmm. and the initial velocity of the item in question. Okay. All works brilliantly. You just basically pop in the spring stuff and it boings around the page. Okay, so so, so it, it, it it the object travels to its destination, overshoots a bit, sort of comes back and, sort yeah, and, of and wobbles. Yeah, and the so. wobbliness is basically in how fast it sets off and all that stuff is all the stuff you're controlling. So it's, it's the first time we've seen like a physics-based animation in a declarative setting, because they're normally just sort of, it's, it's, you know, timing, you know, one second, and it's just this curve, and it will just get there over the course of that curve. This time, it's actually physics-based, so what we... Oh, so, so the, the timing is not, the, the, the number of seconds for the animation to complete is not fixed. Correct, and that actually, um, well, that's one of the things that, one of the first things I tried was, well, this is physics-based, which means, what if I set it you know, what if we have a duration of one second and by rights it might take three seconds for it to settle. Mm. And in the, the tech preview, um, it did the animation for one second and then just snapped to the final position. Oh. So it was it was uh, definitely fighting itself. That feels uh, like a bit of a bug. I, yeah, I it, and it might, might well bug. be. And there is a, there's a W3 um, style uh, proposal. Uh, even though it's in the tech preview, there is a there is a proposal that they've sent to the mailing list, which basically outlines a lot of this stuff. I I can see why you'd actually allow timing to kind of truncate one of these uh, physics-based animations. I suspect, though, in the in the more general case, you'd either choose a, a, a timing function with a duration or a timing function which is physics-based, because that's yeah, what you this, normally do. Yeah, this this feels too high level for for me. Like the, you, the, I like the idea of having uh, a spring easing thing, which maybe shouldn't be spring. Maybe it should be something because uh, cubic bezier, you only get four numbers right now, mm -hmm. right? It feels like it should be something where you can provide more numbers, where you can provide more points on the curve, which would let you do a springing action. Yeah. Um, and then for the timing, this is where you would say actually it's not five seconds. It's, it's going to be based on distance, and right. you know, some, and that's where the mass would go, and that's where. Well, there is there comes happen. this point where, and it is the kind of perennial argument of do I do my animations with CSS or do I do my animations with JavaScript because you're always mm. going to get more control in JavaScript whatever animation library you use you're going to get more help but on the upside these kind of animations they can run on the compositor they can be handled if your main thread is completely swamped with other work mm. depending exactly what it is you decide to spring with if you spring with a transform for example but it's it's this kind of do I go declarative? Do I go imperative? Because imperative is always going to give you that kind of finer grain control to just tweak things as, as you go. Mm. And it's like you've, there's an inclusion here at Spring, which is really good. But what if I don't want Spring? What if I want a bounce? Or what well, if I want... And even though know, it's more simplest, I, I, I think one of the things I would want is, um, is something like easing out, but based on distance rather than time. Right, 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 right. And yeah. it, it seems odd to sort of... We've made the switch to something which is distance-based, but it, it can only spring. Yeah. So, so is Houdini something that could solve this? The compositor worker? This is where you could sort of have that animation queued up and running on the compositor thread? Yes. Uh, uh, in theory, it should be, uh, because you should get all the information that you need in order to be able to, to make that call. Hmm. Um, although you might have to do some dancing with it, because uh, the, the information that gets passed directly through to a compositor worklet is... Uh, you have to declare it up front 
so you might have to do some stuff with custom variables where you set mm. the custom variables to be a you know a, the value that you want and then the compositor work that can sort of tap into those and do the appropriate animation there might be some dancing there and i think it it's too early to say for sure but it does feel like that might be the kind of the imperative equivalent of doing some of these things yeah. and i think that the two can work hand in hand you might be like look this is fine i will just use the spring where it spring makes sense and i am interested that that they are opening the door to some of these things um, that aren't just pure timing based. But I think it is too early to say exactly what the trade off should be between Houdini and not, and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. I, I mean, hopefully we get both, right? Yeah. We end up with a, an imperative way of doing it, and then the common cases. I mean, I don't know if you would. It, it seems difficult to say that spring is a common case right now. I, I don't know. Maybe there's been requests for it. Um, but yeah, that could certainly be a sort of high level thing built yeah. on top. Why not? Why not? It seems good. In terms of Houdini, uh, the paint worklet is now in Canary. Yeah, now this okay. is this is an interesting one because it's like the the worklet you register it and you say when you come to painting this element, mm. tell me, and it kind of gives you this callback in your worklet with what looks like a canvas. It's mm. a limited one because you can't do pixel readbacks and stuff like that for security reasons, some, I yeah, usual reasons. Um, but you do get to kind of at the moment you get to draw behind the the contents. Of the, the the element, I guess it. Oh, so so yeah. So it's behind the the children of the elements, but on top of the background of the elements. I yes, yes, yes. Um, and there is there is discussion about how to do foreground on top of all the other elements. Hmm. Uh, but you're right. The the very first version of the paint worklet has landed in Canary. You can play with it. It's pretty cool. It's and it is good. I think for situations where you might be like, oh, I'm going to have like loads of DOM elements inside of this thing, maybe inside of Shadow DOM just to do this one effect, uh, which is maybe a non-essential effect. Um, so what I could do instead is I could just register a paint worklet and remove all those elements. Mm. Um, well, someone, someone was asking us yesterday, uh, you know, how what's the best way to draw like a, a, a ruler? Like, you know, the, mm. the, the series is sort of short and you know, different length vertical lines to signify points, points along a ruler. And uh, I think the suggestion was maybe you could hack um, a series of uh, gradients to to produce that sort of effect and you, somehow. And you probably can. But this sounds like a kind of better way of doing it, like a more precise way of doing it. Yeah, because you get the canvas, essentially, mm -hmm. style um, API, and then you just sort of go, well, what's the width of the canvas? How many markers do I need? Or like figure out the number of markers depending on the width or something like that, If you, mm -hmm. you know, and just put the markers in. And the thing, the thing to know is it's not an actual canvas. It's a canvas-like API. Mm. So um, when you look at what Skier does, when you when your CSS gets turned into draw calls... Skier is the graphics uh, layer in Chrome. I'm doing DVD commentary. You are. You are actually doing DVD commentary. <laughs> for what you're saying. Yeah, because so, your CSS gets turned into draw calls that then get actually executed against to like fill in actual pixels. Mm -hmm. This is inserting you into that kind of skier draw call world where you're like line to this and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's you're kind of making that kind of recipe almost yourself for right. what, needs to be, what needs to be actually baked, um, which is kind of what a canvas does. Um, but it's sort of in the sense that, you know, when people do a canvas, it can be very hard to be accessible and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. This, because of where it sits in the actual pipeline, is like you injecting paint calls, so it shouldn't affect things like accessibility trees or anything like that. It's more about the the kind of the rendering part. So it feels like it's a really interesting thing. And as mm. I say, it should reduce the number of DOM elements, which might then in turn mean if you trigger layout and it is document scope, that that's reduced. Mm. But if you've used CSS containment, 
then that win might be reduced again because you were, if you had layout containment and you'd done like contain content on a say a web component, then doing layout inside that web component might have been less challenging anyway. And mm. therefore having a paint worklet might just be a smaller improvement again. It's all good. It's all moving in the in the correct direction. It's, That's it's, exciting. It, there's, a, there's a kind of our implementation is sort of following the spec, but as the spec is evolving, so things are going to change. Right. So it's in Canary now. Give it a go. Something we can have a play with. Cool. Another thing that's just landing in Canary is uh, persistent storage. Ooh. Now, I think the web's got a bit of a it's a bit of a dirty secret that anything that you store in the browser, the browser can come along and get rid of it at any point. Yeah. It's something we don't talk a lot about, really. Well, because I, I feel like I don't have the best understanding of what those rules are. Mm. I mean, I, I'm dimly aware that the browser could be like, see you later. Yes. But under what context? I mean, there's, okay, there's, there's kind of hand-wavy if it deems it's sort of suitable and appropriate, which is mm. going to depend on the browser, it's going to depend on the operating system, it's going to depend on the prevailing wind direction. I, as a developer, have no idea. So, so there's a set of things that are kind of broadly considered origin storage. And it's any storage which is tied to the origin. Uh, Again, so thank you once for... <laughs> sorry. <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> this week in Tautological Truths, <laughs> Jake is a Jake. So we're talking about persistent storage, which is <laughs> storage that, that is persistent. persistent. <laughs> okay, so the, t the bits of storage which aren't um, uh, origin-based, it's probably easier to mark those out. It's uh, the HTTP cache. Yep. Because okay. you know you cache one thing, it's now cached. Another origin can access the cached copy. Yep. Okay. It's fine. Uh, and cookies, uh, which they have a storage. They have a sort of a sandboxing model known as crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Every time I try and understand it, I'm like, oh, how did this become a thing? <laughs> it's yeah. like weird rules across. Uh, yeah, parent domains and stuff. It gives us logins. That's fine. We'll let it go. But yeah, so things like local storage, um, well, session storage, but I guess that gets deleted after every session, so it doesn't matter. Uh, cache API, uh, IndexedDB, file system, the, the legacy file system stuff, the legacy WebSQL, all of that sort of stuff, origin storage. And the rule is the browser can get rid of that whenever it wants, but it can only do it all at once. So it can't go and remove at row from IndexedDB. It can't go and remove an item from the cache API. But it can, can it remove just your IndexedDB but leave your... No, it's the whole origin storage. It has to be all or nothing. So that means that you, you, you won't have a, you won't end up in a situation where you've got a service worker, but something in the cache has been removed that you didn't remove, or the cache is gone. And is that, is that specified? As in, is that... Yes, is that, yes it is. Okay. In the new storage spec, Whoa. which is uh, an, an Arna van Kestren special. Slow it oh. down, slow it down, slow it down. Is that the behavior then? Because if this spec is new, then by rights, Firefox could do something different to Chrome, could do something different to Edge, could do something different to Opera, could do something different to it's, IE. Could, it's definitely whatever. explaining the behavior in most browsers currently. Most well, browsers. Do, Jake, do, do, do there's hand waving cases. here, buddy. I know. There will be edge cases. Uh, but the spec means that we can start removing those edge cases. So okay. Arna's doing a good job. Arna's got his own Wikipedia page now. Has he? Are you, is there a little bit of the green-eyed monster, Jake? There's so much jealousy right now. <laughs> I'm important too. Well, he deserves it clearly, like because he's well, yeah. he's one of those people. That he, he said, "Does Alex Russell have one?" No, he has a. I think he's got a red link. What does that mean? That means that there's a page that references him, 
and there's a and it's there's a link to it, but it links to nothing. Oh, I think I've got a red link as well. Oh, I've got a red link because some some com- uh, some conference I spoke at got its wiki- own Wikipedia page. Okay, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so yeah, I've got, got a red link. But and, uh, so, uh, so, so it feels like a, it's a kind of runner-up prize for having your own. Well, Alex is winning because uh, there is a Wikipedia page for Alex Russell. It's a disambiguation page. So you've got I mean, he's on. So you've there. got your red link. So you got yeah. you got don't exist, which is me. There's Red Link, yep. which is you. There's the Disambiguation page, which mm-hmm. is Alex Russell. Then there's the the Paul Irish and Anna Van Kesteren, full fat, I've got a page on Wikipedia. Yeah, that, that's been you know, challenged by the Wikipedia people and has got through that challenge. Interesting. Because you know, I, I know people. I know <laughs> people. I know people. I know, I know people who've had a Wikipedia page that's been removed because <gasps> they're not notable enough. And do you know what? Ooh. If I had to pick between having a Wikipedia page or having a wiki, you know, or, or not having a Wikipedia page, and or having one that was removed because I wasn't notable enough. <laughs> I would. Do you know what? I'm just going to stay in the shadows. Yeah, because that <laughs> that encourages you to go after notoriety, which almost invariably ends in bad things. <laughs> I think. Well, I think it's more just being told, like by by an official process, that you are you're not notable. You're, you're, <laughs> you're in the grand scheme of things, you mark as irrelevant. Not, yes. Your 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 impact on this earth in terms of Wikipedia is. Zero. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Wiki, so uh, yeah. Anna van Kesteren's got a Wikipedia page, uh, and he did the, uh, the the spec for persistent storage, and that says like, yeah, if the browser for any reason wants to remove some part of the origin storage, it must remove it all, and this can happen if the device runs out of space, like you know, it's it runs out of space, space, and the browser's like, uh, I've got, I'm using up a lot of disk space, I want to get rid of some of it. It can start getting rid of the. See, that becomes quite hand wavy, though. It's so hand wavy, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, but it, then, like, who invokes Chrome in the first place to say, "Would you mind removing your storage?" Well, do you see, do you see what I mean? Like, the this operating, is operating system dependent. The, the operating system is going to go. I'm running low on space. Do I notify all applications? And, mm. and is there is an operating system hook to say, if you've got the opportunity to remove some data, yeah, would you be so kind? And I think Chrome might do it based on. Time in some cases, like if, if an origin's not being used for right, so an LIU style, kind yeah, of. but also corruption, like which just which happens, you know, as in what? Well, halfway through a write or something, the device reboots okay. for whatever reason, okay. and it's like the, the, the browser has a face of a choice where well that table's corrupt, but the rule is you know you've got to get rid of everything. Mm-hmm. That's okay. that origin storage goes away, but persistent storage is a way for you to uh, request that the browser doesn't. Just get rid of stuff when it's running out of space. Okay. Like, so it, you know it, the the browser needs to grant permission for this. So you say I would like to use as much disk space as I want. Yep. Uh, and the browser cannot touch it. Um, maybe in the case of corruption, it will have to. But uh, you know, just if it runs out of space, it's going to leave that stuff there. And it's permission based. That you have to request it, and the browser might say no. Uh, it's kind of up in the air how it works in terms of permissions. I think Mozilla are going to actually ask the user, "Hey, this." Origin wants to be around forever. Uh, I think we're going to go for a model where we determine yes or no based on things like has the user bookmarked this? Have they added it to their home screen? Like, have they done an action already that that suggests they want to keep this content? That could be. I mean, it's it's interesting times because mm. on the one hand, you don't want to be prompted by every site that you visit to be like, "Hey, can I store some stuff?" Absolutely, because I think that's a frustrating experience. On the other hand, um, if the thing that you're trying to interact with needs the storage um, and it can't really do that 
and then you kind of end up with a stalemate where where the browser goes, well, I, I'm not going to offer the persistent mm. storage because you've not really kind of engaged with this thing. But you're like, well, I can't really engage with this thing until until it can store a bunch of stuff. Now, I, I imagine yes. in the general case that you would be able to get far enough in to be able to say, look, you are using this enough to be able to make that kind of call about the storage um, but I think it is something that is going to be really interesting as this unfolds to see which pattern actually works out better. I, I am mm. more inclined to go with Chrome's in this particular situation, not because I work for Google, but because I think the alternative of prompting everybody for everything every time is it's not a pleasant user experience. Every time you go somewhere, it's like, hey, I've got a thing for you to do. Hey, I've got a thing for you. To Just stop. I, I think the, the Chrome, so neither answer is perfect. Uh, and I think Chrome's point of view is that we haven't found a good way to ask the user this. We haven't found a way that makes sense. Yeah. Um, right. like, like a good way of wording it that's not going to confuse people. And yeah, there's the spam case as well. But then on the flip side, if you have something that is um, like low interaction but very important, like something like TripIt that's going to tell you about your flights delayed, you don't go to it very often, but it's very valuable mm. to you. Um, that's... <sighs> You're going to end up with sites like that saying, hey, we can't keep this permanently. You need to add us to your home screen before you can do that. And the only way they're going to know that is by using UA detection, that it's Chrome and it right. has that behavior. Right. And that's, right. oh, that's, that doesn't feel great either. That doesn't, no. But you're right, though. In a travel situation, the idea that your boarding pass could evaporate. Yeah. And you kind of get to the gate. <laughs> and maybe you're you're maybe on the, the, the kind of the other side of so for example say you you would have been roaming on data mm. so you're not you're not just going to fire up the app and be like yes spend you know this amount of money on downloading my boarding pass again right exactly there's something still very in fact actually when i flew back from amsterdam i actually had the boarding pass on the app mm. but then when i went to to do bag drops you went would you like me to print you a copy and i just i looked at the battery on my phone <laughs> And I thought, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to charge this again. Yes, yes, please. We are entering a time where our boarding passes and our credit cards can run out of battery, and that that does scare me. Anyway, right. So persistent storage—that's hopefully going to land where you can actually figure out that you can store stuff and not kind of go, "Is this yeah. thing going to be here next time I show up?" Or I just well, I to be honest, I never think that. I just kind of go, "Well." It's not business critical, whatever it is. Fingers crossed. Yeah, if it's here, it's here. If it's not, it's not. But if you had stored, like, you know, a series of movies to watch on a flight, oh, and then, God. like, a, a crappy game that you weren't intending on playing, you wouldn't want, like, an update to the game to knock the movies out of the cache. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of how it happens today. No, I agree. I, I think it's a great step forward. And again, it's sort of, it's it's all moving in the right direction, isn't mm. it? To be able to say, look, if you're going to make real apps, you've got to have access to real storage, yeah. meaningful storage. How that plays in the kind of progressing from I visit this site, it's ephemeral, it's something I'm just doing for 20 minutes all the way through to actually, you know, this is thing that is added to my home screen that I care about keeping. That's an interesting journey and not something I think we've totally got a handle on. But the, the point is it's progressive. It's a, it's a progressive web oh, I said it, didn't I? It's, like, it's, it's one of your words. Progressive web apps. Yes. Progressive web apps. Have you heard of that term recently? I have, <laughs> I have heard it almost like no other term. I, I, I like it. Okay, I, I like that we've got a rallying cry. Mm -hmm. of something that, to be honest, um, probably outside of uh, developers can have a bit of a meaning. You know, in the same way, it's something that you can take to somebody and say, we want to build 
a progressive web app. Mm. That's actually uh, that's a core part of you not know, just being hand wavy web. Yes, it's the same way we kind of said people went. I want responsive. I don't want a mobile only site or a desktop. Only. I want a responsive website, and that's something that you could people could be encouraged to ask for. Well, it was Francis Berryman who came up with um, the the PWA mm-hmm. acronym, uh, and I was I was you know poking fun about it and you know how she's invented a marketing term uh, and she said like well it could have been worse like the other one on the table was uh, progressive offline first web app which is power no <laughs> <laughs> I know right power well it'd be pofwa really depending on whether you oh yeah you know you, you just oh, the F the F it's good <laughs> I <laughs> wish people could see with your little, you're just doing a little sweepy motion with your hand. <laughs> like a cat using the lip tray for the first time. Yeah, what is this thing? <laughs> this, is, this is the first. Uh, cool. Power. Last thing I want to, I think we should talk about is um, bisecting Chrome builds. Um, I'm skipping over <laughs> a bunch of stuff. No, I, I like it. Just... Because I think it's such a, 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 a super useful thing if you run into an issue with Chrome. Mm. And it was a superpower I only recently discovered. And it's one of those things that it turns out plenty of other people already knew how to do. I didn't know how to do. I never really felt like I had cause to do it until when we were at the Progressive Web App Summit in Amsterdam, we came across this um, site. Somebody just kind of came up to Paul Irish, Pavel Feldman, who's the uh, the tech lead for Chrome DevTools, mm-hmm. and me. And we were just, and a couple of other uh, Chrome engineers besides. There we are, all sat there looking at this site, and um, something just seemed a bit off. We couldn't quite figure out why this thing wasn't performing well. It took a, a bunch of work. But one of the things that Pavel did was he went off and went, ah, it looks like this behavior changed as of this build of Chrome. And mm. I was like, That's a, that is a superpower I definitely want. If I know that something was good way back when and it is bad now, mm-hmm. how do I do this? Turns out, if you were to clone the Chrome source code, there's a tools folder in the root. Yes. Inside which there's a bisect builds Python file. And all you do is you call that and you give it the last known good build number and the bad build. And it will start basically downloading and it will do so in the background and all this while you're whatever. And what you do is you can it'll lo- load up that a, a build. Mm-hmm. You do the thing that you're interested in and then you quit it. And then the prompt comes back and goes, was it good? Was it bad? Or do you not know? And yes. you say, for example, good. And it and it basically steps on to choose the next appropriate build. And it keeps going until it eventually goes, I think this is where the change actually happened that you're you're interested in. Mm. And it gives you the URL. So bisecting is one of those computer terms that when you don't know what it means, it sounds like it's it's super hardcore and it's going to be like assembly or something but it's just a it's just playing higher and lower it's just it's chopping in half yeah that's it yeah and which one of these and then it just keeps going until it until, until it goes finds, yeah, until finds it, you basically the set is small enough to be able to say it's probably this mm. and in this case you um the, the, this came up because of this uh, recent uh, v8 uh, jit bug where sometimes type of null was returning undefined. I, I saw this and it because it was like a for loop where it was running ten thousand times and then at some point it would switch from the from reporting the right answer to reporting undefined. Which presumably I mean I'm guessing, but I assume it's V eight is doing its compilation. It mm. goes, Oh this this code is hot, I shall do some compilation and that JIT compilation then resulted in something oh, yeah, that, that makes was, sense. Which is why it would be 
a for loop or like a tight loop would be a way to, I guess, to make the code hot for it, you know, V8 to take notice and then try and optimize it. And it was fascinating. And it was just like this one liner, but it was the bisecting that was really, really interesting because then we went in and it was like, here's the thing, you put in the URL and it was like, here's all the changes that happened in that particular build. One of them happened to be V8, went inside that, looked at the code review and went, oh, okay, so this is this is the this happened to be the fix because of the way I did the bisect. But if you've never done it before, you can Google for uh, bisecting Chrome builds mm-hmm. and you get this chromium.org post that basically gives you all the information. Paul Irish wrote it and he was like, oh yeah, I wrote this up ages ago. I was like, yeah, but you never told me. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's there. And, you know, test cases are always the best thing. Like if you're filing a bow, just a, a reduced test case is brilliant. But if you want to kind of extra info it, you can be like, look, it was working in this build and it's definitely not working in this build. And, and that will that also gives you, if you know the name of the person who did the commit, which yes. broke everything, that's always a good person to put in the CC field. Like if you're, if you're wanting to really speed up a fix for something, yeah. you can say, look, you, know, you broke it. Go yeah. fix it. Yeah, exactly. And here's the the thing I use to test that it's not working. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely not something that typically people would do. They're normally just going to go, it's it's broken. And that's, that's like an A star thing to do. It is it? really yeah, like yeah. you know, it's not required. No, not at all. But if you can, it's amazing. Mm. So that's probably all we've got time for today. We could have talked for a much much longer because we have probably left it too long. We have to find that middle ground, don't we, where it's not so long that we've got the entire web's worth of content to talk about, but not yeah. so short that we just sort of stare at each other for an hour, talk nonsense, and get nothing done. You should try monthly, I think. Monthly? Monthly. What do you reckon, yeah. folks? Do you reckon monthly? Do you reckon, do you reckon you want to hold us to that? Well, I'm not going to make a promise. Well, there's a service worker face-to-face uh, will, will have happened since then. When is that, and where is that? That is in Toronto. And that is in July sometime. <laughs> July sometime. It's good to know you've got a handle on it. If only you were actually heavily involved in service workers, that would make this awkward, wouldn't it, I if look, you didn't know? I, you know? I look at my calendar. I, I know sort of what's happening you, next week. You've, right? you've, you've booked your tra- travel, though, right? You, you, tra- travel, travel. You're definitely going. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to be just roaming the streets of Toronto. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's cold there, I hear. Is so. it? I don't know. I've never I been to Toronto. In winter, right? It's the, isn't that thing that they've, you know, it's not, I, I've seen due south. Wait, 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 wait. Is it due south? Due north. Uh, I don't know. It feels like it should be due north, but I think it's due south. Yeah. What is the one with the... The, 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 the Mountie, right? Yeah, Mountie. Let's have a look. Yeah, it's due south. Why is it called due south? Because it's in the north. What? There'll be a reason. They won't have named it arbitrarily. Anyway, but you're saying it's winter, but it is in the Northern Hemisphere, last I checked. Yes. Which means it should be summer, because we are in June. That is true. And I I thought my geography was bad, and I thought my understanding of the world was bad, but it seems as though I've found somebody who's got a worse grasp on reality than me, and that would be... If it's winter in UK, <laughs> it's also winter in Canada. See, what you're realising now is that to be a Googler doesn't mean you're actually any good at anything. It just means you know how to Google other things really, really well. <laughs> uh, winter in Canada, surviving the wild, Scots in Canada. Is it actually? I'm almost Scottish. There you is are. a site for that. That's good. That's that's excellent. Educationscotland.gov.uk has a, a page on... On being uh, Scottish in, in Canada. In Canada. <laughs> Brilliant. That's mostly me. That is that's mostly great. me. That's fantastic. Uh, it says here there are many different kinds of snow. Okay, great. Well, it's clear there's water snow... And there's, there's snow, there's, snow, and there's, there's ice snow. There's, uh, well, and there's, there's yellow snow. <laughs> Just when I thought we could get all the way through this.
Why are you waving again? You're waving again. What's like, wrong with you? It makes guess it means I can be properly excited about the goodbye. Whoa! Your hands are wobbling. Like no, it's not just like I do. A, I think I do a quite a fairly stiff wave. Like my fingers don't really move. But yours you, were like you wave from the elbow. Uh, no, I don't. I wave from the. the oh, no, lid. You, I don't you do, do a bit of both. It's a good oscillation. But actually. yours was just like like you, it's like you. It's like you inflated um, a rubber glove, and then that's the thing you flapped around. 